Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Yeah, it's good to see you. Well, uh, yeah, what a, what a glorious God we serve. How awesome he is. Uh, we have one little presentation this morning from the team that will be heading to Cambodia. So I'll just call them forward to do a little slideshow and explain what the Lamington Drive is all about. So I'll hand it over to uh, Peter. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're the team going to Cambodia in the second half of January next year. Uh, it'll be my first time, and for Joan and Karen, about their fourth time, so I'll hand over to the experts. <laughs> we have some um, photos for you. Oh, that's the leader. He's... Sorry, that's our leader, Pastor Drew. Some of you have met him. Um, he does dental work in some of our clinics. Not all of them these days, but some of them. And um, you can see the poor patient there <laughs> and the helper. Um, we often meet in ch old churches, which aren't used anymore. And uh, this is one of them. Hmm. Oh, here we are meeting under the coconut trees. Um, this was a beautiful place down near um, the ocean uh, that we went to. They call it the South. And um, there were lots and lots of kids at this particular um, uh, group. You can see the medical. Um, we have medical um, groups that... Um, the stations? Yes, stations is the word. And um, I'll just explain what we do. The, the people come... They're told that there's a clinic on, so lots of people will come and they're divided up into groups. Um, they're given a number and uh, the first group is uh, sent to our two Indigenous pastors, Pastor Hung and Pastor uh, Stephen, and they give them, uh, in groups of about 30 to 50, uh, a talk about the Gospel. They're all brought up as Buddhists and some of them have never heard the gospel before. So before they leave our clinic, they've heard the gospel in very succinct sort of terms. And that's really why we go, to spread the gospel. Um, then they, uh, they go to a station which takes their blood pressure, their temperature, um, their details and, you know, how old they are and what, what's wrong with them. And after that, they wait for a little while and then come to the medical station. Uh, after that, we somehow or other have a whole lot of medicines. They're in these bags. You can, you may or may not be able to see the bags there. They're big um, cases. We have all the medicines in bags in, in the cases, all numbered, and we give them the medicines that are appropriate to their issues. Um, but we have to buy those medicines, and that's what Kaz will talk about um, when she talks about the Lamington Drive. Um, we go in vans. Oh, there's the kids. <laughs> They're just so beautiful. And Kara. And Kara. <laughs> And they play games uh, while the adults are going to the, the clinic. Um, the kids are wonderful. They're so welcoming. Um, some of them learn a bit of English in school and they can talk to you. Uh, they're just just really gorgeous. Um, there's Alice. There's Phil uh, and Kara looking after the kids. Um, you can see they're always smiling. This is another another group that we... Oh, that was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, they're just waiting. 
You can see it's hot. <laughs> it's always hot. And there's Pastor Stephen giving the gospel to the, um, to the people in that group. There's Phil making lamingtons. <laughs> and there, you know, there's a group of us all. Um, oh, there we are making lamingtons to, to raise money. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just um, wanting to help with the money to buy all these things. There was also stations for glasses, reading glasses for the, the men and the women who need to be able to, if they can't read, they sometimes do craft or needlework. So... It's important to be able to give them something so they can actually do what they would like to do and to raise some money for themselves. So we also provide the reading glasses, so some medicines, reading glasses, a lot of dental equipment. The kids over there, they've got brown teeth, they don't know how to brush their teeth, so we take toothbrushes and some toothpaste and everyone gets a toothbrush and we try to teach them as well about oral hygiene. Um, they all get a worming tablet because they've got dogs running around. It's, they don't know a lot about cleanliness in some of the villages and so we teach them. Um, how to look after themselves, how to clean up the dog's poop so the kids aren't playing in it um, and why it's an important. So hopefully they, they learn something. We can't do a lot for them other than the most important thing is give them the gospel. Um, that's the, the power and that's where they're going to find their life. Um, but just by our love, because a lot of the times we can't even talk to them, we can smile at them, hug them, um, but we need an interpreter on all the stations because a lot of them can't speak English. Um, so we're trying to raise money and this is we've got one more week before the cut-off for the Lamington Drive. So out in the foyer you'll, you'll see the a list which you're welcome to take home. If you've got friends, family, neighbours that you can ask to support um, the beautiful Lamingtons, there's 10 in a box um, for $15 or they can buy three for 40 so it's cheaper to buy that way. They freeze really well. Um, you can ask friends at work to people that you see so that when you pick them up for them, that you can deliver them. And um, But it's just a way of supporting the people overseas and, and supporting the mission trip. Um, and that we'd like them in for next week, next next Sunday, if you could bring the numbers back so that we can organise and order them. And if you could also, those who are also getting friends and family to donate, and um, can you bring collect the money from them as well because we won't be doing that. It's something that we ask you guys to do and to bring it in and return it to either Pete, Joan or myself and we will look after that. If you just want to buy yourself some Lamingtons and th don't know anyone else who would like them, I'll leave this in the foyer. You can just fill it in and write how many you want and just pay one of us the money and we'll put it down on the order then so we can supply all your needs. But many hands on the day. Well, like you saw the pictures, we need people dunking Lamingtons. We need people putting... Um, coconut on it yet and we need people just building the boxes just to put them in and sticking the labels on saying thank you this is uh, thank you for your donation and for supporting the cause so lots anyone can come any age we will welcome them all on the day then okay thank you very much for your time hey the third the day of lamington making will be saturday the third from probably about 9 30 10 o'clock we'll start setting up putting plastic all over the floor so we don't spill the chocolate everywhere but it's usually a very fun day we get to wear those funny hats and Huh? 3rd of December, yeah. We've passed November and January, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, any other questions? Thank you for your support and your prayers will be much appreciated too. Thank you. Okay, well, let's, let's pray. 
Uh, thank you, Lord, for the plans you have for us and for this opportunity you've given the team to go to Cambodia and to bring the gospel and to minister to the needs of the people. And we pray that you would even now be preparing the hearts of the team members and those who will are, are in those remote villages that we don't know. But thank you that you do and that you love them and that you have provided everything for life and godliness for them. And uh, pray, Lord, that we would be in prayer and supporting how we can. And thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to support and to bless your people and those who don't know yet the gospel. And pray that, uh, Lord, we would walk in light of it, that as we open your word today, you would minister to our hearts, that we would hear you speak, that we would respond in obedience to the things that you're saying and rejoice in your salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 26 is where we'll be, starting in verse 34. Sometimes we think if we know something, we're always going to be walking in light of that thing, but uh, the wisest people can make foolish decisions. And the reality is that people who genuinely trust the Lord, they don't always obey him. And we see lots of examples of this in scripture. One of them, David, a man after God's own heart, but he tryed to cover up his adulterous tryst with Bathsheba. She had fallen pregnant, and so he tried to cover it up. And there was a, there was a point where he even commanded the general to put him in the heatiest, the hardest part of battle so that he would fall by the hand of his enemies. And I bet that he was like, whew, dodged a bullet there when Uriah died. And then after a period of mourning, he brought Bathsheba into his house. Like, problem solved, but it wasn't solved. Prob the problem was David hadn't reckoned on God holding him accountable. He had faith in God, but in that instance, he was walking by sight. He was walking according to the flesh. He was lusting over a naked woman rather than seeking God. And it led to the death of a husband and a son. And so it's really tragic, the consequences of sin. And I think what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 10:4 it was relevant in David's case and in ours as well. It says, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. If we are thinking righteously, if we are focused on the Lord, we won't fall prey to the temptation to sin because we'll be seeking him and doing the things that please him. God desires truth in the inward parts. And if there's true, if we're true, in our faith and obedience to him on the inside, it will, it will show itself in our actions and in our words. And one thing we see about the Bible is it doesn't sanitize God's people of their sinful blemishes. It's like this unvarnished, unfiltered picture of reality that's sometimes very uncomfortable. Sometimes there's decisions made that we are wise not to follow. Decisions that godly people made. People who feared God, but they weren't trusting God. They weren't obeying God in that time. And it's easier almost to write off people as an unbeliever rather than deal with the messy reality that people made righteous by faith in God still struggle with sin, still must battle the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And that sometimes we don't even realize when we're walking in the flesh. We don't realize the things about us that God wants to change that are, that are sinful, that he wants to have surrendered to him and forsaken and repented of. So God gives us these examples in his word not so that we can smugly point out the sin in other people or say, oh man, how dumb, how silly is that? But that we would look at ourselves, that I would look at myself 
and I would consider my own motives and thoughts and guard my heart against repeating the mistakes we see in the scripture. Sin so natural that unless God told us, we wouldn't even recognize it as sin. It's like Paul where he says, I would not have known covetousness except by the law. Covetous so normal, so natural, that unless God said that is sinful, he would never have known. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, the one who does not lean on his own understanding, strengthened and guided by God. So today's passage, very interesting and uh, really, really insightful, as always. Genesis 26, 34, we pick up our text. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Forty years had passed since uh, Jacob and Esau tussled in the womb of Rebekah, and God had revealed to her during her pregnancy that there were two nations in her womb and that the older would serve the younger. Esau was born first, but in his adulthood, he showed he despised his birthright by selling it for a bowl of red lentils. Now we see that instead of waiting for his parents to secure him a bride, as had been the case with Abraham and Isaac, he goes and marries two Hittite women from Canaan. The writer of Hebrews calls him a fornicator and a profane person, and his sinful conduct was evidence of a heart that did not fear God. And it says, these heathen women, they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. It made life bitter for them. It disrupted their whole household. Imagine your son, without permission and likely without discussion, coming home, not with a girlfriend, but with two wives, now living in your house. That would be a, a huge change to the household. And not why, uh, wives from their own people, but from cultures that were marked by polytheistic cults and unbridled sexual immorality. And I imagine that they brought the images that they worshipped into their home. And they would hear them praying or worshipping their idols. And it was a grief of mind. They were troubled by what was happening in their house. And we see that the household was already fractured by favoritism between the parents and the kids. Genesis 25, 28, it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So they weren't united with one another this partiality led to favoritism of one over the other and kind of pitting them against each other. Picking up the next chapter, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. It says, now it came to pass. It's believed about 30 years have passed by this stage, that Jacob and Esau are in their early 70s. So he's getting older. His eyes are growing dim. I don't know if his cataracts or what, but he was no longer able to see. And he summoned Esau to bless him as his heir. He felt, you know, death isn't that far away for me. And uh, I like what Calvin wrote. He said, wonderfully was the faith of the holy man blended with a foolish and inconsiderate carnal affection. So here's this guy who fears God, 
who trembles before God, and yet he was blind to his son's fault. And he was literally blind. It's like almost poetic where he is, is really blind to what God had said, what God had promised. He was fully aware of what God had spoken to Rebecca, that the older would serve the younger, but it didn't deter him from blessing his preferred son. Like if, if Isaac had his way, Esau was his heir. There's no question. So he summoned him. He says, take your bow, go out hunting, bring home that barbecue, I'll eat it, and then I'll bless you. And Esau, he was pleased to do what his father said. Now we're told that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And when it comes to barbecue, people dramatically have differences in how they like their meat prepared or if they eat meat at all, right? Some people, they're like, I want it rare or, or well done, or I don't eat meat, I just have veg- you know, roasted vegetables on my barbecue. God's given the freedom to choose. It doesn't mean that our preferences align with his purposes. Sometimes we just feel like something. But that's not necessarily what God wants for us. We're not thinking about God. We don't read of Isaac seeking the Lord about this. Like, is death at hand for me? Is Esau the one that that the lineage is going to pass through? Is he the one I should be blessing? He felt he didn't have long to live. He preferred Esau over Jacob, so he made his own decision based upon his feelings. He literally went with his gut, and he chose Esau for himself rather than seeking the Lord. Now, how many times have you gone to the pantry or the fridge, and you're like, what should I eat? I feel like something. But you're not exactly sure what it is you want. You're like, you're thinking about something savory or spicy or crunchy or something sweet. And, and then there's other times where nothing really sounds appealing. It's like you've, you've opened the pantry because you're hungry, but you're like, uh, ah, nothing really is what I want, what I feel like. And I suspect that at that time, there's food in your pantry and in your fridges and your freezers that would provide for your dietary needs, but you don't crave them. You know they're good for you, but you don't really want them at that time, right? But in that craving moment, you're not thinking about what's good for my skin, for my bones, for my blood. It's just what you feel like. It's what you want. Can anyone, does this resonate with anyone? You just want something. You feel like ice cream, like I did last night. So I ate it, and it was great. Now, when we expand this illustration beyond eating and drinking, it's possible that our flesh and our feelings and our personal preferences dictate our choices rather than the Lord. We have a feeling, we have a thought, we have a desire, and we can overlook what God has said because we feel like something else. So God's saying, the older will serve the younger, but he's like, you know, barbecue sounds good and I'm going to bless Esau. The day of my death is coming. Our ways can look more appealing than God's ways and his word. So this is a, a caution against that. Genesis 27.5. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves, 
then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. We see that Rachel, uh, excuse me, Rebecca, she's partial to Jacob. She's overhearing what's going on in there. She reported to Jacob everything that he had said and that he was going to bless him in the presence of the Lord. This was something special then. This wasn't like, bless you, my son. It was like, I'm going to be speaking words before the Lord, words that I want God to hear and respond to. And so she's like, I want that for Jacob. I don't want it for Esau. I want it for my preferred son. So you have Isaac choosing his preferred son, and now Rebekah choosing her preferred son. Divided in their love of their children, which were grown men, I mean 70 at this stage, Imagine you have the husband and the wife speaking to their preferred son, but not speaking to each other, not seeking the Lord. They just want what they want. To Rebecca's credit, it may be she was moved by faith because she remembered what God had said concerning her children. But she went about it like an unbeliever, like she needed to help God to bless her son, who was already blessed in the Lord. And that deception was justifiable to her end, right? That the end would justify the means. I want my son to be blessed, and so we can lie about it. We can deceive blind Isaac to get what we want. Isaac blessing Esau would not have jeopardized Jacob's blessing from God. That was assured. It wouldn't have robbed him of anything if he had blessed Isaac. If, he, if Isaac had blessed Esau, Spurgeon wrote this. He said, good men have gone very wrong when they have thought of aiding in the fulfillment of promises and prophecies. See how Rebecca erred in trying to get the promised blessing for Jacob. We had better leave the Lord's decrees in the Lord's hands. So it could be that unbelief was leading her to take this action. Unbelief that God knew what was going on, what her, what her husband had been speaking about. It's not to our credit if we deceive and lie, hoping that by doing evil, good will come. Picking up in verse 11, And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Now, Jacob is fine to steal the blessing by deception, but he was concerned that he might be found out. Notice that. He doesn't take issue with deceiving dad, like, oh, that would be wrong. Not at all. He's, he's fine with the idea, but he didn't want to be caught. He didn't want to seem to be a deceiver. He didn't want to appear to be deceptive, but he wanted the blessing. And he's like, I don't want to bring a curse on myself, when I'm wanting a blessing. I don't want the curse. And he's saying, you know, we look a lot, we look really different, me and my brother. He was a hairy baby, and now he's a really hairy man. And one touch of my father's hands, he'll know that I am Jacob. 
then what would he do? What would Esau do? I don't want to go down that road. He, he was willing to deceive as long as he wasn't found out and he was successful. He's like, if that works, then I'm, I'm cool. I'm good with doing what you said. Hagar was the one who, who called God, God, the one who sees me. And God's the one we need to look to, realizing that he sees us, that nothing is hidden from him. Jacob's own conscience affirmed the law even before it was written in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 27, 18. It says this, Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. And Rebecca says, Let your curse be on me. In Scripture, we've had a, a bunch of notable curses that have happened to this point in Genesis. A few of them, when God cursed the serpent, that he would be on his belly. Uh, God cursed the ground, that would bear like thistles and thorns because of sin. Uh, Cain was cursed by God after killing Abel, and God put a mark upon him. A curse was a deserved, lasting, negative consequence for sin, and it's God who enforces the curse. So anybody can curse if they want, but it's God who makes it stick. It says this in Proverbs 26, 2, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. Jacob knew being cursed, it's no small matter. And that's evident in the law of Moses. As you were to read the law of Moses, you would see that there were all these blessings for people who obeyed God, but all these curses that were the result of disobedience. And the curses are like way more extensive than the blessings. And they all impacted the here and now, like it would if affect your physical health or the, the prosperity of your flocks and your herds. Those would be blessings, and the curses would be the opposite, you know, failing health, fruit falling off the vine before it's time, uh, problems with enemies coming in, being oppressed, being taken captive, death, really. And Rebecca, she was willing to be cursed so that her son could be blessed, and that was a foolish trade that did not have to be made. Because God had already spoken to Abraham and he said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the blessing was already there. But in her folly, she decided she was going to scheme to get that blessing. So she said, get two goats. He went out, got two kid goats. She prepared it the way Isaac loved. She found choice clothes of Esau in the house. Then she used those skins to cover up his arms and his neck so that if he was touched by his father, he would feel really hairy. And if you could just look up a goat and see what that looks like and go like, wow, Esau was a very hairy fellow. Um, and it was such an elaborate deception, right? He's got the food. He's wearing Esau's clothes. He has his hairy hands and his hairy neck. Now imagine how effective their efforts would have been if Isaac could see. Would that ruse have worked for a second? No, not at all. He's like, Jacob, what are you doing? Well, that's like God. God saw through the whole thing, right? He wasn't tricked or fooled by this, this scheme. It's never in our best interest to lie for or to lie to others. We speak before God, and he knows what's inside of our hearts. Moving on in verse 18, so he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? 
Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Jacob carries the food in, pretending to be his brother, maybe trying to talk like his brother. Isaac was very suspicious, right? He doesn't, he's not really buying it off straight away. Didn't sound like Esau. He came back way earlier than he had anticipated. And he lied and said, I am Esau, your firstborn. And he says, well, how did you find it so quickly? Well, the Lord your God brought it to me. When he hadn't gone hunting, right? He went out to the, the paddock and found a couple of kids from the goats. And then he says, well, come closer and let me feel you so I can know whether you're really Esau or not. And so he touches them and, and he's like musing. He's like, the voice of Jacob, but the hands of Esau. Oh, well. Like Esau's distinguishing feature was his hairiness. He was a hairy man. And Isaac shrugs off all the inconsistencies and he assumes it must be Esau because of what he felt. He's feeling him and he's like, yep, it just has to be him. No one's hairy like him. Are you, and then, are you really my son? Like he, he obviously is not convinced. He says, yes, I am. In doing so, he provides this example of what a hypocrite looks like, really an actor who's living a lie. That's Jacob right here. We've read of uh, Satan posing as the helpful serpent in the Garden of Eden. John, he describes the false prophet in Revelation 13, 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So the false prophet's going to look like a lamb, something gentle and almost cuddly, but has this satanic inspiration. In the early days of the church, Paul exposed apostles and these false leaders who infiltrated the church to corrupt it with their false doctrine. They were drawing people away from the simplicity of the gospel. And this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So these, Satan, he pretends to be helpful. He pretends to help. Uh, these uh, false apostles, they have this godly piety. The false prophet looking like a lamb. It's one thing to be wicked and try to put on a show to appear upright, but should the righteous, should the godly, have the voice of Jacob and the hands of Esau? Is that right? No. We should be consistent in our walk before the Lord. We shouldn't believe a blessing is ours if we lie and deceive. Know that we are blessed in the Lord because he is a blessing. We shouldn't use worldly schemes to do what God has promised to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
By faith we hold fast to God, we speak the truth, believing the gospel. It's a good example for us. I don't want to have that folly of having the voice of Jacob in the hands of Esau. Genesis 27, verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come, now, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled, like, he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Isaac eats and drinks. He calls his son over to kiss him. He blesses him. He smelled the familiar scent of his son's clothing. I seriously don't know how it was a good smell, but... It was, a, it was a distinctive smell of the field. <laughs> and he blessed him with dew from heaven, with crops and produce. He made him a ruler over his brethren, right? The nations would be serving him. He would be the master, thinking that it's Esau, but it's Jacob. And he repeated the blessing that God had given in, to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. While he lived in Haran, he said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God had also appeared to Isaac and promised this to him in Genesis 26, 3. Dwell in the land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And so all of this, he unwittingly passes on to Jacob, thinking that it's Esau. Jacob's standing there with goat skins strapped to his body and God, God's plans could not be frustrated by Isaac's plans, his purposes that God had revealed. And even as a curse without a cause will not alight, God caused the blessing of Abraham to rest forever upon someone who's unworthy and undeserving of the honor in being the younger son a scheming son. This made me think about Adam. He's just so just a little history here. Adam sinned by rebellion against God's command. Sin came in the world, death through sin, and in a world marred with a curse, God blessed all those who trust in him. That's something consistent throughout the whole scripture. He appeared to Abraham, he appeared to Isaac, promised to bless those who blessed them, curse those who cursed them. Now, God gave the children of Israel his laws. Through They were the descendants, the, the literal descendants of Abraham, right? They had the uh, covenant of circumcision. And then they had the covenant of law. And God gave, him his, gave his people his laws. It had that promise of blessing uh, for those who obeyed him and the curse for sin. And over time, there was a bit of a shift from faith marked by obedience to God to what man has to do to earn blessing from God or what sin he needs to avoid to avoid being cursed by God. And it became about what we do rather than who we are by faith in him. God gave his people as follow him. Oh, I just lost some. Okay, I'll just keep going. 
just distracting when that happens. So God gave his people his law to walk in his ways, to lead them in the way of life. They couldn't keep it. That was the problem. The law could only condemn them. It only pointed out their faults. They got no credit for doing what was right, but it condemned them every single time they sinned. And it meant death. Jeremiah 17, verse five through seven. It says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land, which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. The blessing is in the Lord by trusting him. But those who do not trust the Lord and trust in man, they bring upon themselves a curse. God spoke to his, pe- his people in Malachi 2.2. 2. He says, if you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. So it's like, wow. Imagine having a blessing and having your blessing cursed because you have forsaken the Lord. Now, Rebecca, she was willing to be cursed so Jacob could be blessed. And Jesus did that very thing for us on Calvary. We were undeserving to have this curse of sin lifted, but he took it upon himself. And a lot of people, mostly Christians, I don't really think non-believers are concerned about this, but I know many Christians, they labor under the concern they might be or could be cursed because of negative or unwanted circumstances in their lives. Something bad happens, bad things seem to keep happening, and they go, am I cursed or something? Is there some sort of curse on me because of what's happening in my life? Now let me say, the scripture says, for those who are born again in Christ, the devil himself has no power to curse you because we are in Christ who is blessed. He took our curse upon him so that we have the blessing of the Lord. We do not have to worry about being cursed Because a curse without a cause cannot alight, and it's God who enforces them. And God who has forgiven, you believe he's taken away your sin. You believe he has given you entrance into heaven. Well, believe this, brother and sister, that there is no curse that can be laid upon you when you are in Christ. This is seen even in the Old Testament. This is not a new thing. Balak tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel. God said this in Numbers twenty-two, twelve, and God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Were they perfect? No, but they were blessed because God was their God. Those who God blesses are not and cannot be cursed. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 23, 5, And this is after Balaam went, right? At first he didn't go, but then he did go. Deuteronomy 23, 5, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Isn't that awesome? God, they cursed Israel, but God turned that curse into a blessing. He's like, no, I refuse that. I will bless them instead. You want to curse them all you want. I'm just going to bless them. There's nothing the devil or Balak or ba- uh, Balaam could do, do about that. D. 
Do you see that all, if you are outside Christ, yes, you are under a curse, the curse of sin and death. But if you are in Christ, you are free of that curse and you are blessed because you are in him. God has turned that curse into a blessing because God loves us. Jesus died once for all so we can live. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3, 13 and 14. If you're not convinced yet, because when you've heard something a lot, you can start believing it even in violation of scripture and know that we are under the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. This is a new covenant. It has trumped the old covenant of law. We have a new, prom- new covenant based upon better promises. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says, speaking of believers in Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So that promise of blessing to Abraham, it was not just for him. It was not just for Isaac. It was not just for Jacob. It was for anyone who would place their faith in God. That promise is for them, to their children, to all who are far off, as many as our Lord will call. And the seal of that is the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, who makes us new. So we were once under the condemnation of the law, the curse of the law. It was a curse to us, but God has made it a blessing because Jesus was, he took that curse upon himself so that we can be blessed, so we can live redeemed from the curse. It's like he paid the price to redeem us from the curse. And so now we have this standing with him that is only blessing because of what he has accomplished. It's like the longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize how much he did on Calvary and that we need look to him and no one else for salvation, for blessing, for healing, for life. He was cursed so we could be blessed. And he turned that curse of sin into the greatest blessing in giving him, giving us himself. Because we're blessed, we are able to bless others. It says in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Our, our, the springs of our life is to be blessing, not cursing. We can be blessing others and a blessing in the world because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that awesome? So it's an error for Christians to wonder or to assume we are laboring under some curse. We need to lift in some way when there's persistent troubles or difficulties that persist, things that are not our preference. Know that we have been redeemed from the curse because of what Jesus has done. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? It was the love of God that moved him to redeem us. Let's turn just to one last passage in Revelation 22, three through five. The world and those who make flesh their strength, they remain under a curse even if they seem to prosper. The Bible reveals an everlasting day will come when God's kingdom is established in a new heavens, new earth, where righteousness dwells, where there is no remnant of a curse at all. Like we are living on a world that God has cursed. There will be a new heaven, a new earth. Revelation 22, 3 and 5. 
it says this, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Everything on this earth, everything that we call a temporal blessing from God, which it is, they will fade away, they will be gone forever. But God and all the blessings of the kingdom, they will rest perpetually upon us, chosen by his grace. And so we don't have to scheme to try to find a blessing for ourselves. We don't have to labor to, to, to get out of a curse that Christ has redeemed us from. And what a blessing to receive this as a free gift from the Lord. And instead of looking at our circumstances and, and wondering if we're cursed, to look to Jesus and know we are blessed. And that's a huge change in the way you live. When you realize you're standing with God by his grace. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. We can't earn blessing by what we do, but by who Jesus is, by all he makes us to be. No longer is the fear of being cursed or the desire for blessing our motivation to avoid sin or do what pleases God because we know we are blessed by his love. So let's bless God. You guys pray that he would bless things. Well, let us bless him because he has blessed us, redeemed us from the curse, and made us a blessing by his grace. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the blessing of Jesus Christ and the blessing that has come to us through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, imperfect people through whom you showed yourself faithful. And thank you, Lord, that you have taken away this curse that doomed us, that damned us, and you have given us the hope of eternal life, that you've given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us uh, an enduring hope, unfading glory in the presence of God forever. And we get to enjoy this abundant life with you today. And I pray we would celebrate you. We would celebrate your goodness. We would glorify you for all that you've done. And forgive us, Lord, when we've been like Jacob, when we've had the voice of Jacob, but the hands of Esau, and we've gone around trying to get blessing for ourselves when it was always in you. I pray we would not look to man or people for our strength, but to Jesus, who is the Son of Man, the Son of God, our King, our Sovereign Lord in glory. We thank you, Lord, that you live and we live with you, that we are in you and protected that a curse without a cause shall not alight, and that you're the one who's in charge. It's you who's sovereign and rules over all. And so, Lord, we magnify your holy name, and we bless you, and we praise you and thank you for your goodness. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see you, to, to relish this relationship that we can have with you, and to walk in the light of your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.